0: Good morning, everybody. Uh, This is Rich sitting in for Sherry this morning. Uh, Last time I I sat in for Sherry, she was sitting in the studio. Uh, She's not in the studio this morning. She's actually in the booth. So I don't know if that means she trusts me a little more than last time. She's shaking her head no. Uh, We'll see if I'm ever here, and she's not even here one of these days. We'll see what happens. Uh, Good morning, everybody. I'm sitting in for Sherry this morning. This is Rich Tracy, and uh, I'm, I'm here because we're having back a guest that we had back in july and that is the real life dick tracy captain dick tracy who also happens to be my father good morning dad morning rich <laughs> also in the studio with us this morning i uh, is my my youngest brother bill tracy morning good morning and my uh, youngest son ryan tracy good morning good morning ryan um i don't know if uh my oldest son is actually uh, doing his National Guard duty this weekend, so he couldn't make it. I let him know that we were uh, going to be on and what time, and if he had a break, I don't know if he'll call in or not, but I asked him, I asked him if he would. So we're happy to have you back, uh, Dad. Um, we, we had a great show back in July, and um, as we drove away from the show wh- that we did in July, we we went back and forth about all the things we could have talked about, you know, and, and we, we missed this and we missed that and we should have said this and we should have told this story or whatever it was. And uh, so we kind of chalked it up to missed opportunity. However, Sherry started getting feedback on that show in July. And the, the feedback that she got was so was so positive that we decided to come back and try to fill in some of those gaps. So that's what we're going to try to do today. Probably saying that we went viral is maybe overstating it a little bit, but, uh, but it was certainly uh, it was certainly a, a popular show, and, and everybody loved hearing from you. So I look forward to trying to, to do that again. So uh, for those that maybe not did not hear the first show, I just want to kind of let you go over a little bit kind of where you're from. What your, what your career was like, you know, just where you worked and what you did, and then let's take a few minutes kind of recapping everybody, and then we'll go into some of the stuff that we, wanna, that we wanna talk about.
1: Well, of course, I realized my name was Dick Tracy from a very early age, and uh, I used to cut, as I said before, I used to cut out comic strips and put them in scrapbooks and minute mysteries, and it eventually led, or helped lead me into a police career. So I became a Chicago policeman in 1956, sergeant, a detective, sergeant, lieutenant, captain, retired as a captain in 1997, and um, moved out to Arizona. Kept active with the police department by serving on the, uh, what we're gonna discuss later, the Citizens' Corps Council as the chair, and uh, the police retirement board. And now that brings us pretty much up to the present day.
0: Okay. So in the middle of your Chicago police career, what, what did you do? Well, you I was... A, a, you took a leave of absence. Oh, I, right. I,
1: I didn't know that's where you were driving yeah, towards. Sorry. No, I, yeah, I took a leave of absence. I became a chief of police in a small town in, in Pennsylvania, Pottstown. Was there for five years. Went to the southwestern part of the state for two and a half years in directing a regional police operation, and then returned to the Chicago Police Department uh, from a sergeantcy to be promoted to lieutenant.
0: Okay, and I, if I recall correctly, that was roughly between 1968 and 1975 we returned back That's to Chicago, right? Good, good parameters, yeah. All right, so my, my middle brother, Michael, who is in in the Chicago area, we're hoping he, he may give us a call, Um uh, was born in Chicago like I was and Bill was born in Pottstown. That's correct. So, so we had moved to Pottstown and Bill was born in Pottstown in early 1969. If anybody uh, who who was on the last show or heard the last show wants to call in and ask a question or if you're interested in joining the conversation, the number heres seven nine zero 790-2040. We're happy to have you join in and uh, and enjoy some of the things we're going to be doing this morning. So, Let's go back to, you know, we, we talked a little bit in the last show about how you became known as Dick Tracy within the police department, right? Within, you know, the people closest to you and with some of the criminals that you arrested. You know, you were kind of a celebrity amongst them. We, I think we we told a couple stories about how prisoners at Stateville were bragging on the, on the tier about, being locked up by dick tracy
1: well either bragging
0: or complaining yeah one of the two yeah i guess i guess they they were either way they were they were happy to tell people that they got locked up by dick tracy one way or the other that's true so so you were you were kind of a a celebrity or with the dick tracy name being in law enforcement um on a small scale within the police department and again the criminal community now um when you were a burglary detective after coming out of undercover narcotics, which we talked about extensively in the last show, um, uh, tell us about the news story that kind of set you on on a path towards the the being the real life Dick Tracy. It was kind of the founding, uh, you know, the founding of that outside of the police department.
1: Correct. I, I don't know how it came to be, but I was interviewed by the Chicago Tribune, and I was uh, uh, featured on the front page along with a picture of the uh, comic script character crediting me with uh, the name Dick Tracy and my career.
0: Okay. Um, so which came uh, this is a great this is a great question. Which came first, the real Dick Tracy or the comic book Dick Tracy? We have a question here.
1: Well, actually the comic strip started in 1931 and I was not born until 1934. The basic truth is, I was named after my father, whose name was also Richard, quote, Dick Tracy, and uh, uh, it did. The comic strip did not become relatively famous until the '40s with the uh, characters like Flat Top and Prune Face, and and then after that, when the when the movie came out in '90, all of this kept reinforcing the Dick Tracy thing, coincidental with being in the police department.
0: Okay, so so you're technically three years younger than the strip itself, right? But your prominence as as being associated with the strip didn't actually start until your law enforcement career kicked off in 1950. Yeah, right. 50s 56, early 60s. Right. Yeah, yeah. Right. Okay. So now, so the the story of the Tribune. Did we get through that? Did we? Pretty much. Okay. So. Now, so now, so now, that puts you kind of on the map with the people in the city, right? I, you know, now people in Chicago have at least seen the Tribune, which is probably, you know, there were a few Chicago papers back, but in those days, that was the main way people got their got their news and information as as compared to today. So the tribune was a major publication widely widely distributed and circulated in the city so you you were on the cover with a wearing a fedora that you had to borrow from a friend of yours because you didn't wear hats right and you kind of looked off to the side kind of with the similar to the dick tracy uh similar to the dick tracy is known for profile exactly and those two pictures were juxtaposed to or on against one another in that article. Right. Right. So, so, and back in those days, your jaw was as square as Dick Tracy's, right? Something like that. <laughs> so, later on, you um, tell us the story about meeting Chester Gould. Tell us how, who, for those of you that don't know, Chester Gould was the founder of the Dick Tracy comic strip, the original artist and writer. Um, and did so for many many years until until he passed away. So, what, why don't until you go? Until he, he actually retired before right, he passed right. okay. away, and then passed away. Yeah. Okay. So so go ahead and we'll go ahead and tell us a story about meeting uh, Chester Gould.
1: Well, uh, early in my uh, early in the '60s, uh, I was dating a young lady who was working for a public relations firm in Chicago as a receptionist, and. Coincidentally to that, Chester Gould was invited by this um, uh, public relations official to go to California to to uh, unbeknownst to him to tape a uh, "This Is Your Life" Chester Gould story. And uh, when the uh, when that sh- show was over, Chester Gould came back to Chicago, came up to the public relations firm, and walked in and introduced himself to the young lady who was my, who was uh, this public relations guy's receptionist. And she asked him for an autograph, and he said, uh, why, why would you want my autograph? She was in her 20s, and usually autographs were asked for by younger people. And she said, well, I happen to be dating a Chicago policeman named Dick Tracy. And Chester Gould told her, I've heard of him. And I I found out later that he had actually seen the article in the Tribune without contacting me. So um, instead of giving her an autograph, what he said to her was, "I'll do one better." So he went back to his studio and draw drew a nice uh, uh, cartoon uh, uh, about eight and a half by eleven, and in the shoulder it said to Dick Tracy, from Dick Tracy, with our best wishes, Chester Gould, which I have hanging on my wall now. And uh, uh, when she got, and then he mailed that to her, and as a Christmas present that year, I think it was 1961, she presented it to me as a Christmas gift. So early the next year, I went down to the Chicago Tribune where Chester Gould's offices was, and went up to thank him for the, uh, the uh, drawing. And uh, when I introduced myself to him, I said, my name is Dick Tracy, and he says, let me see your identification. So I had to get my wallet out, show my badge. I was already a policeman, then, of course, and, uh, uh, and my identification card, which said Richard Tracy, but, of course, Dick was synonymous with Richard, so that's how I met him.
0: Okay. So you were, so he didn't even believe you. And as we talked about on the last show, that was a theme of within the police department of you meeting people and, you know, evidence, evidence technicians and police captains that you worked, that you wanted to work for telling them you were Dick Tracy. They wanted, they wanted to have you locked up and thrown out for impersonating a police officer essentially. Right. Right, right. <laughs> so <clears throat> now you said something to me the other day as we were talking about preparing for the show that I I didn't quite know. I so explain to me Dick Tracy's name compared to yours. I mean, you're you're Richard Tracy, right? And everybody knows that the common one of the common nicknames other than Rich or Richie or whatever is Dick. Dick is a common nickname for the first name Richard. But how does that how does that work in the Dick Tracy comic strip?
1: Well, a couple of the characters in the strip through the years had referred to Dick Tracy as Richard. And so Richard and Dick were actually part of the this, this strip itself. And, of course, my name being Richard Tracy, and I was called Dick my entire life uh, uh, as a youngster, my, uh,
0: it just was coincidental. Okay. I, I thought I, I thought the maybe I misunderstood, but my understanding was his name was actually Dick Tracy and people were calling him Richard as a nickname, as opposed to his name being Richard but being commonly called Dick as as a nickname. Well you could I guess you could say caught using it as a nickname. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Okay. So so he was so he, he was known to most people as Dick and only to a few people as Rich.
1: Well, the comic strip was titled, originally when it was founded, it was titled Plain Clothes Tracy, and a New York editor or publisher changed the name to Dick, which was a euphemism for For detective, detective, and uh, so the strip itself, from the time it was first published, was known as
0: Dick Tracy, through even up till today. Right, okay, perfect, so... So that was your, that you met Chester Gould, and you had, and that kind of led to uh, an association we're going to get to a little bit later with the Gould family uh, that was kind of solidified when the Dick Tracy movie came out. So right, in the 90s. In the, yeah, in, the, in 1990. So in the intervening years, you, you became the chief of police of Pottstown. You were, you were uh, mentioned in an NFL films uh, uh, story or a documentary on the, Pottstown Firebirds, which was a semi-pro football team in the late 60s, right? And it, it I, I did not even know this until we watched it, that they uh, that they showed you, or they they didn't show you. They showed someone. I think it was a fireman. Actually, it wasn't a it wasn't a policeman that they showed in the picture because the person was standing in the uniform. He didn't have a you know a gun belt on or anything. So I th- I actually think it was a fireman, uh, or maybe someone from the Salvation Army. I honestly don't know who they who they showed, but it wasn't a policeman. And uh, and they they were talking about someone in the uh, on the team, right, that had a drug habit. And they were talking about it was basically the character of Pottstown. So one thing they said was that that I mean this town is so you know crazy or whatever that the that their police chief is named Dick Tracy. So that that kind of puts you on the map again with some of the things you did. Now you were starting to become a I won't I won't say a national figure, but you were well, now. Well,
1: another thing that happened during this time that I remember is when I became chief of, of Pottstown. I was actually mentioned in Walter Winchell's column in a New York newspaper. So that that helps solidify this, quote, national
0: recognition. Right, okay. Which, and as I said, I think we agreed in the last show, you kind of accepted reluctantly. I mean, if it would have never happened to you, you would have been okay with that as well, going all the way back to the the, the early days, right? I did not seek the publicity. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Fair enough, fair enough. So... You wound up on what's my line as Mister X. We talked about that while you were chief of police in Pottstown, right? Um, and and uh, I remember I remember the soupy sales walked up and walked around and shook your hand, and you didn't seem to remember that, but right. I remembered that. And unfortunately, that made me a, a celebrity in kindergarten, right? Because <laughs> I, I I wasn't seeking the publicity either, especially as a kindergartner. But that became a big thing in the in the town of Pottstown at, at the time. And then when you come back to Chicago right you wind up as an imposter on the show to tell the truth so and that was that was in the in the so what why don't you tell us kind of who you posed as and then what came out in the end because i well,
1: okay that was max allen collins who later in the in the strip became a writer for the strip when dick loker became the artist and uh I was invited, they, they, they somehow, and I don't know how they find these things out, they became aware of the fact that Dick Tracy was a policeman in, in Chicago and invited me on the program to be one of the imposters of Max Allen Collins. And then Max Allen Collins was there, a third person. And of course, at the end, when we stood up, will the rac- will the real Max Collins stand up? Max stood up and course, the other two of us were sitting down, and then when we introduced ourselves, my job was to tell the audience and Max Allen Collins that my name wasn't Max Allen Collins; it was
0: in reality Dick Tracy. Right. So that that was a hit on the show. And as I recall, you got two of the four votes. If any of the listeners out there remember how the how that game was played, that was true. So, uh, so he got two of the four votes. So. I don't know if that means you're good at spinning a tail or or how you know what what that actually means in the bigger scheme of things, But you did get two of the four votes, and I do remember I don't remember what you said your name was. But I I don't think you had to give a name, but you. That's correct. We didn't use a name. Right. But you said that you are a hockey coach at De La Salle High School. Right. Right. Because we were at that time. Oh, when I was first introduced. Yeah, when you yeah, were first right. introduced. But before they went into the show of trying to. Because I didn't
1: want them to know I was a policeman at that point. Correct. correct. And that my name was
0: Detroit. Yeah. Right. So so your your cover story was much like when you did undercover narcotics was it not that you were a hockey coach when you're doing undercover narcotics but But i was a a hockey coach too though yeah no you were right yeah you were so but but for the southwest jets when we were kids not for deal sal right
1: right but i i I just wasn't making that up i mean if there
0: was some basis in fact (laughs) no there there was (laughs) there was so so you did the to tell the truth show and again that's nationally and now you're now you're out there so that's in the early 80s. I want to say I was still in high school, so it had to be before 1982. I want to say it was 1981 or 1982. I spent a lot of time going online in TV archives on the Internet trying to find those episodes, right? of Especially if To Tell the Truth, because my guess is probably somewhere you have to tell the truth on a VHS tape somewhere, because we should probably let the audience know that you might have more VHS tapes than any other person on the planet. (laughs) I have a couple. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So fast forward your careers, your career's progressing. You you get promoted. You're now a a, a police captain. And um, in 1990, the Dick Tracy movie comes out, right? So Warren Beatty, Madonna, uh, Al Pacino you know the whole cast of characters we'll, we'll talk a little about that so w- what did that do to your life?
1: Well th- that really kind of enhanced the r- relationship between my name and my career because once again the people that knew me and a lot of other people that got to know me because of the movie coming out um, including for example the uh, the people in Woodstock where Chester Gould was, the the, uh, originator of the strip, lived in Woodstock, Illinois, and invited me up for the premiere of the movie, and my family, and I went up in uniform in the Chicago police, I think lieutenant at the time, and uh, uh, we watched the movie together. They started a program called Dick Tracy Days in Woodstock, and every year for a weekend, I would go up and participate in a parade, and Certain functions, uh, welcoming people to the, mu- the Dick Tracy Museum, which they opened up there, and things like that.
0: So, for those of you that are listening that, um, that aren't familiar, with the town of Woodstock it's a, it's a town north of you know n- north northwest of Chicago yeah, about 75 miles uh, out of Chicago close to the Wisconsin border but it's uh it is also the town where they filmed the movie Groundhog Day right right with Bill Murray and uh so that whole square is where the Dick Tracy days kind of took place, and the parade led to the square. And the museum is in what they referred to in the movie as the Opera House, if I recall correctly. No, it was the old town hall. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. All right, the old town hall. So that's where the Dick Tracy Museum is. So next time you're uh, next time you're watching Netflix and catching uh, Groundhog Day, uh, you can you can now add a couple of new references to to the significance of the town so the diner that they sat in we've sat in that same diner and had lunch a number there had lunch and dinner a number of times when we were up there in town for whatever the whatever the function was associated with dick tracy in the dick tracy days
1: well a lot of people are from are are not familiar with woodstock but, or, or with the movie uh, Groundhog Day, but when the star of the movie was in a motel or hotel room across from the square, I had actually stayed in the in that hotel when I was visiting up there on
0: a week, on a Dick Tracy weekend. Oh, okay. Yeah. I, I that's something I was not aware of until now.
1: When he looked out out of the hotel room onto the square, onto the... I, I had done that same thing at one time. <laughs>
0: That was Bill Murray, I, if I remember yeah, Bill correctly. Murray, right. Yep, and Andy McDowell was the was the female co-star. Her name just dawned on me. Um, so uh, before the movie came out, so we go to one of the there were a couple of different premieres. Of course, the big Hollywood premiere, right? And um, and I think there was one other premiere, but they they decided to do an uh, like an official premiere for the movie. You know, you you mentioned it, but I mean, this was not just a. We didn't go to see the movie up in Woodstock. This was an official premiere of the movie in oh, Woodstock. That's correct. Right? So the whole family went with the whole family was invited. We went up and and participated in an official premiere of the movie, right? Correct. And a fancy reception they had afterwards that I think as young kids we were well I was a I was not a young kid anymore, but we were all a little uncomfortable with being at the country club, being in ties and all that stuff. You know, we, we were, It wasn't necessarily black tie, but it was a, I mean, it was a formal premiere of the movie. Yes. So in the lead up to the, in the lead up to the movie or after the movie premiered and came out, you, you were getting, I, I seem to remember you were getting calls relatively frequently from media outlets around the country interviewing you. It,
1: well, as a result of that, uh, reception that you talked about i got to meet people like dick loker who is now drawing the drawing the script and uh, a, a couple of makeup artists from uh california had come for the premiere that were received an oscar for developing the appearance of some of these characters like prune face and uh little face and uh, Al Pacino did not use makeup, but a lot of the other flat top, uh, they got Oscars for
0: uh, their work. Yeah, Doug Drexler and John Caglione. I didn't Uh, remember the names, but that is is who they were. And they actually, uh, in Dick Tracy days, they won the Oscar in March of 1991 was the Oscars for the year that the Dick Tracy movie came out. And they came to Dick Tracy days and uh, Dick Tracy days were usually in July, as I recall, right around the Fourth of July, or they varied, but they were they, they came to Woodstock for Dick Tracy days. And that was where and, and I, I have a picture of I, I had since started my career in 19 you know December of 1990, I graduated from the Marshalls Academy. And reluctantly, I rode with you in the car, in your car, as Captain Dick Tracy, I I have a picture of me sitting on the, you know, sitting in the back seat or, you know, on the convertible sitting up on the back of the car from the back seat, waving at people as as we went the parade route. And I was wearing jeans and a shirt. I mean, I was not dressed to be in a parade. I did not, it was not my intention to be in the parade or to carry the mantle of Dick Tracy. I mean, his kid was named Junior And I was more than willing to be junior, because I am junior, and not have any of that notoriety. But it didn't work out so well for me either.
1: Correct. Well, that was your problem getting into law
0: enforcement also. (laughs) Right. And I have said over the years that it was probably a foregone conclusion, given my name, that that, that's where I would wind up. And it is where I wound up.
1: And I felt the same way in my career also.
0: And plus you, you said you did set a pretty good example for that being a being a good career and it certainly did turn out to be that way. But but again, those makeup artists showed up at the at, we, we went to a reception. Yeah, and
1: actually at that reception was Dick
0: Loker and Max right, Allen Collins. Collins, right which we're going to talk about them here in a minute. okay. Um, but they so they actually had their Oscar. Right? They, they brought their Oscars with them that they won in March. And I just remember holding their Oscar was pretty cool. You know, I'd never, I'd never held a, uh, you know, I don't know how many people other than Oscar winners and people that prepare the show get to hold an Oscar, but it was kind of cool to get to hold their hold their Oscar for Best Makeup uh, for the for the Dick Tracy movie. Well, I'm looking at the time. It's uh, about 32 minutes past the hour. I think now is probably a good time for a break. So uh, we'll be back in a few. all right thank you we're back and uh, our guest is uh dick tracy captain dick tracy retired chicago police captain and my dad this is rich tracy again sitting in for sherry and uh, i believe we have a caller on the line so why don't we go ahead good morning good morning Uh, hey good morning ron how you doing
1: good um listen great show today i just wanted to ask with all the notoriety your fathers had with Dick Tracy. How did that affect his relationship with his coworkers through his career?
0: And did he even care? Uh, that's a great question. Go go ahead. Uh, you know,
1: it was. It, it's like a mixed bag. Some were good, some were bad. But most of the relationships that I had were were good relationships, and and lifelong friends, I developed and things like that.
0: Now, I I will go ahead and say it. That the caller is. Ron Marshall my right. my lifelong friend from Chicago and probably the maybe even the fourth Tracy boy in certain circumstances <laughs> just as I was the second Marshall son back in back in the day. So Ron I appreciate you calling in this morning from Chicago. Hope everything's going well. How's the weather there? It's cold. <laughs> okay. It's going to be 75 here today so you got to come back out and visit sometime soon.
1: Can't wait. Hey, you guys have a great rest of your morning. Thanks, right, Ron. Nice
0: talking to you, Ron. All right, take care. Well. Thanks a lot, Ron. So right before the break we were talking about the Dick Tracy, you know, the the Oscars and all that and and I want to I want to talk a little bit about the relationship that you developed with the subsequent artists and we talked about Max Allen Collins who wrote the script um, in you know after after Chester Gould retired or and I think he maybe even for a time for Chester Gould or along with Chester Gould I don't recall for sure so I don't want to talk out of school but you also t- struck up a, a, an even closer friendship with Dick Loker than you had with the Gould family. Correct. So tell us a little bit about uh, you know you met Chester Gould, and Dick Tracy days, and just how that relationship kind of flourished over the years. You mean you mean Dick Loker? Dick Loker, yeah.
1: Yeah. Well, it's hard. If we just became friends. I mean, he he was impressed. I I, and I don't mean that uh, with um, ego with my name, Dick Tracy, being the character that he was drawing in the comic strips. And I've actually been been out to his house in Naperville a couple of times, visiting with him and his wife, Mary. Uh, I, I considered him a personal friend. So we were, we were uh, fairly close until he passed
0: away. Yeah, in 2017. Dick, Dick passed yeah, away. Right. And he also had a place in Green Valley. So he was a Southern Arizona resident and spent a good part of his time. And you guys would get together uh, regularly when he was, uh, when he was spending his time in Green Valley. Right. Right. So I, I do want to tell a story about Dick Loker that kind of it's, it's something you did, but it impacted me that I want that, to, that I want to insert here real quick. And so we talked about the bust that you got from, Chester Gould, the original artist, right? Yeah. Uh, that to Dick Tracy from D- Dick Tracy, with our best wishes, Chester Gould. Well, when I started my career at the at the U.S. Marshals in 1990, just prior to the just prior to my starting my career, there was a a Dick Tracy story that he was drawing, that ironically was Dick Tracy dreaming about being a marshal in the Old West. Totally coincidental. Yeah, to, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, and, and the story was called, I, I want to say it was Dreamscapes or something like Dick Tracy Dreamscapes was the storyline. But the last panel of the last after he takes care of all the crime in this little town was him standing Dick Tracy standing in a Western hat and, uh, you know, his, his Western outfit and the, the last panel with his Marshall's badge, with his Marshall's badge. Right. But not, but not, it was a different Marshall's badge. I'm going to mention that. It was a a five pointed badge and it, and it said the, the last panel in the, in the, uh, dialogue bubble said no rest for Marshall Tracy. Right. So, I go to I take off for the marshals in August of 1990 I come back in December sometime in early 1991 you present me with something right you, you say here I, I here you know it was that was never a big deal but you, you you gave me something and you went to so why don't you tell us what happened for you to get with Dick Locher to to come up with the with what we'll describe in a minute
1: well, as I said, Dick Loker and I were already uh, friends for a while, and I asked him to draw, or I asked him for at least a copy of that last panel. And uh, what he did was actually hand-draw another picture of, the, of Dick Tracy
0: as a marshal, which he gave to me to give to
1: you. Right.
0: And so it, it actually drew... So what he did was that the original panel had... Dick Tracy with a five-pointed badge on. He drew the five-pointed badge with the circle around it, which is the the US Marshals badge. And then there's also kind of a profile of Dick Tracy that is a, bo- a, a like a bubble that has this panel in it. So, you and I from two different generations of Dick Tracy artists have drawings, original drawings presented to us by the the artist at the time that the uh, you know, the artist of the strip at the time that it happened. Right. And, and that's been one of my prized possessions and always hung in, in my office and that, that I've had over the years, or I never hung it in my cubicle when I had a cubicle, but I did put it in my office when, when I finally had an office, but that, that's something you did and, and, and gave to me, not something that I was able to, you know, able to do on my own because of my note, any notoriety that I never had as Dick Tracy. So as long as we're talking about pictures, right, and, and things that you have hanging on your wall, um, i want to I want to talk about a picture that you have hanging on the wall in the house of John F. Kennedy. And I, I, I we didn't talk about this before, so I don't necessarily want you to give it away, but kind of talk about how you wound up on a security detail or manning a post in a hotel with John F. Kennedy in Chicago. And right. I'll, so go ahead. Uh,
1: um, John, uh, the President came to Chicago for a for a political. Uh, Trip and a um, an award ceremony of some kind. I don't know with with the mayor of Chicago, and I was a police sergeant in the Loop at that time in downtown Chicago, and part of my uh, assignment for that day was to be in the lobby of the hotel that Kennedy was staying in, and unbeknownst to me, when he was leaving the hotel. Uh, to go back to Washington, and he declared he was leaving early because of a cold. He was really uh, going back to announce the Cuban Missile Crisis. And as he walked through the lobby, I was behind him or alongside of him, close to alongside of him, and the newsman took a picture of of us walking out of the lobby, and I have that picture hanging in
0: my house. Right, so... Um, the the thing I wanna the thing I wanna say that's so significant about that picture is not only not not many people get get in there in in a picture with the president when they're part of his you know loosely associated with his protection, but in that picture John F Kennedy is walking through the lobby of the Palmer House I believe it was was it the Palmer House I don't it, remember it's a, yeah, yeah. He, um, but he was in that picture he is aware of the Cuban Missile Crisis he was on his way leaving to go back to the airport feigning an illness right right and so in that picture he's aware of the cuban missile crisis but the rest of the world is not that's my impression yeah. right right so so i think that, that there's something significant about the fact that you know you can look at that picture knowing what you know about it and wonder what was going through his mind as he was walking through the lobby of the hotel where you were where you were pictured in the background I just think that's, and that was, what well, was the Cuban Missile Crisis, October of 1962, I think it was? Yeah, I think so. So, uh, if uh, my my history teacher would probably be mad at me for getting the year wrong, but I think it was 1962, October, 19, I know it was Missiles of October. Yeah,
1: right, or 61. Okay. Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure either.
0: I'm sure if anybody wants to call and correct <laughs> us, uh, we're Exa- more than happy exactly. to accept the correction. <laughs> uh, again, if you want to call in and, uh, and chat with... Uh, the Real Life Dick Tracy at 790-2040-790-2040. So um, also on your wall, we'll talk about this last one and then we'll move on. It goes back to your Chief of Police of Pottstown days. And um, I know he kind of evolved as potentially a controversial figure, but at the time he was, he was undoubtedly the most powerful law enforcement officer, not only in the United States, but in the world and probably even more powerful than the Attorney General, <laughs> and, uh, and that was J. Edgar Hoover. So tell us about your how you got to meet and spend some time with J. Edgar Hoover.
1: Well, the uh, Police Chiefs Association in southwestern Pennsylvania, which I was part of, uh, decided to uh, uh, award a, part, uh, a trophy, a plaque to J. Edgar Hoover, and we contacted the FBI and worked it out. And three of us representing our organization flew down to Washington and presented Jager Hoover with this plaque. And his office took a picture of the three of us presenting him with the plaque. And then he autographed that that picture and sent it to us, to each of us, uh, when we got back to Pennsylvania.
0: And I understand he was pretty impressed to be
1: meeting Dick Tracy. I can't read his mind, but... (laughs) I was impressed to meet Jager Hoover. We'll just assume he was just for the
0: sake of discussion.
1: Now back, but h- however, I can say that when I was assigned or, or appointed chief of police of Potsdam, Jager Hoover had actually sent me a letter congratulating me for that appointment to Dick Tracy
0: as chief of police. Okay. So I I I think I remember maybe seeing that at one time. I I, I don't recall. Um, so, a couple of other brushes with greatness you've had over the years is um, tell us a little bit about uh, the South Side of Chicago and Ralph Metcalf and Jesse Owens for Olympic running fans out there.
1: Well, that, that was a brief a brief uh, encounter, but I was that, at that time assigned as a sergeant in a district on the South Side of Chicago, and Ralph Metcalf by then was a I believe, ward committeeman and aldermen of the, of the ward that our police station was in. And there was some function that they were at that I was uh, uh, attracted to in my role as being on duty at the time. And I got to meet both uh, Jesse Owens and who was a good friend of Ralph Metcalf and Ralph Metcalf.
0: Okay, and they were both, uh, I mean, of course, Jesse Owens is very famous for the, the Munich Olympics in nineteen thirty six, I believe nineteen thirty six, and uh, Ralph Metcalf was also an Olympic caliber runner that I think lost to Jesse Owens most of the time, but he was still an Olympic caliber, a uh, sprinter or runner in, in in that same time frame. Right in that same Olympics, yeah, right, right. And they so they were they were lifelong friends, and you were associated with them because of your your assignment on the South Side into being responsible because the you know policemen or the the leadership of the police department would respond to inquiries from the aldermen and the you know important business leaders and people they, they were responsive to the the people in there that were in their districts and that that's kind of how that all came about yeah you could
1: say that I
0: okay. so um i want to i want to kind of fast forward here to your your retirement days and maybe bef- maybe before we do that, let's talk about, I know we talked last time you gave some advice about what young policemen would want to do, you know, wh- what you would offer to young policemen. But during the course of your career, you spent quite a bit of time helping police uh, police officers prepare for the next level. I know you you did a lot of, uh, I know they're probably not as popular now as they used to be, but I remember one of the first things I got when I, express an interest in law enforcement and the u.s marshals in particular i got an arco test book for the deputy u.s Marshal exam right so why don't you talk a little bit about your kind of your zeal and your passion for helping mentoring police officers along the way to get to the next level and you don't have to mention any names because that's probably not 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 too fair but we'll Uh,
1: i I I do remember the ARCO test books, and you're absolutely right. In my own career, I wanted to advance, and I advanced by studying books like that and other books that were available to me. And uh, after I got to another level, like sergeant or lieutenant, I would use my knowledge of test-taking, both oral and written examinations, and uh, coach uh, Patrolman on the Chicago Police Department for advancement. And I always consider that more like an avocation where I would help others or mentor, you could call it others, or coach others uh, for success. And I was very proud of the fact that one group that I had, there were 12 patrolmen in that group. And out of that group, eight of them went on to become a sergeants. Well, 10 of them did. And two of those Went on to become lieutenant, and two of them had dropped out of the program that I never heard of, <laughs> heard from again. But the uh, I was very proud of uh, using my talent that I had, uh, or education or knowledge, to help others uh, advance their careers.
0: And and you had been invited, as I recall, a few times in your career, to sit in on interview panels at other police departments. And and so uh, to help them conduct their assessments and and oral interviews for their leadership, you know, sergeants and above. Correct. Yes. So, so with, with all that knowledge you had of being able to do those things, I mean, that even continued into your retirement and even up to recently that, that, I mean, you've always been willing to, coach and help people prepare for assessments and oral boards and all those kind of things.
1: Absolutely.
0: Right. So that's, that's been a kind of something you carried into your retirement, which we're going to, we're going to start, we're going to talk about here in a minute, but there's something, there's a story that, that you told me that it's, it's just funny how things come full circle. And I I want, I want you to tell the story about the, the, the man that's, or he's, he's now uh, an, an adult, He's probably in his seventies now, because you're you're in your mid to late eighties, so I think I recall at the time he was ten years younger than you. But tell us about the guy that goes to the coffee shop that you frequent. That just just tell the story. I won't even try to set it up. Just just tell the story about the bowling alley. Oh well,
1: <laughs> here in Arizona, I uh, frequent a, co- a certain coffee shop, which I won't mention for. Uh, privacy reasons for people to go there is uh, uh, I was in there one day and I met a gentleman who through conversations about being from Chicago informed me that uh, uh, he was a a young kid on the near south side of Chicago. At the same time, I was a policeman patrolling, a patrolman patrolling that And walking the beat in front of a bowling alley that uh, he frequented, and uh, uh, the 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 joke was, I'm 10 years older than him, so I was about 24, he was about 14, and I accused him of aching my squad car and uh, on on uh, Halloween, and and. uh, I can't understand it, but he never denied it. <laughs> yes. So I, I think he must have, I don't know if it was my car that he got, but he got a car and I got
0: him. Yeah. <laughs> so so here you are, you know, 24, yeah, we're talking 63, 60, 60, years three, later, yeah, 60 some years later, out here in a coffee shop in Tucson, Arizona. You, you meet a, someone who at the time was a juvenile that you had accused of egging your police car. I accused him now when I met him oh, in person. Oh, you didn't, okay, you didn't accuse no, him at the No, I didn't time. know who he was,
1: I didn't know who had the squad car back in uh, uh Chicago okay. did. see, I,
0: I misunderstood the story, yeah. so you, so... You knew that—I mean, you recognized his name and knew that you knew him from back on the block or back at the bowling alley in those days. Well, we had agreed that he was there and I was there. Right, right. Yeah. And and he never denied that he—, he egged, No, he never denied egged it. —egged either your car or a car. Yeah. So— No, he never admitted anything. That's just funny how full circle comes, Uh, you know, 660-some-odd years later. Well— and it's a he, cho- t- he chose to remain silent. Yeah, he exercised <laughs> his uh, his right to remain silent. Yeah. Consultant attorney. Um so uh, in in the few minutes we have left, the, the, this hour has flown by also. I, I want to one of the things that you've made kind of a kind of a important part of your life in retirement after 9/11, uh the the president President Bush at the time instituted uh the Citizens Court Council, which is a which is a, a group of civilians that are do disaster preparedness. And it, it started in January or so of 2002, shortly after 9-11, to, to harness some of the energy of the citizens wanting to do something to be prepared and to help prepare. And you've been basically associated with that virtually since its inception. So, well, I'm going to just kind of open it up to you if in, in some of the time we have left and let you tell everybody about Citizens' Corps Council, what they do, and, and what your involvement is in it. And. Right. Uh,
1: Citizens' Corps Council is a, 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 a meeting of heads of uh, organiz- of groups that are volunteers, like volunteer police uh, or volunteer fire or what we call CERT, which is the Citizens' Emergency Response Team, which are people that are trained for uh, hazardous spells, uh, building explosions or fires, traffic control, things like that. Um, Also, Neighborhood Watch is part of Citizens' Court Council, which are citizens that uh, are involved actively in seeing something and saying something which is the slogan for like neighborhood watch programs we have a medical reserve corps which communicates with the hospital in the event of something like uh, mass inoculations or something like that and a communications corps which serves with ham radio operators and other radio operators to with the storm ready program so that we are up to date on what's going on in the community and each of these groups interact with one another and provide service to the community through as a committee now of the police department
0: okay and and i was gonna say so it's kind of it's and what is your role in Citizens' Court Council now.
1: Well, I am the chair of that organization.
0: Right, so so I chair those meetings. Right, so so you chair the meetings and kind of oversee, along with, and, and it's kind of housed, for lack of a better term, in the police department. Right, I I, I don't exercise operational control over
1: these people, but help uh, coalesce them into a group that provides
0: the service right okay and i will say that i do recall um they they don't call it the police explorers anymore it's now the cadets the Oro valley transition their program but back in the day when uh my oldest son who is the one that couldn't be here today was an Oro valley police explorer the they participated in an exercise at at a church uh you know a mass casualty type event that was a you know a drill um, and he served or, or he he participated in that and it was sponsored and put on by Citizens corps Council. That's correct. And I think he I think he saw you there that day because you were on the on site that day, if I right, recall. Right. right. So and you were so you were not only was he being evaluated, <clears throat> excuse me, not only was he being evaluated by, you know, by the uh, ex- explorers, but he had the extra burden of actually being uh, critiqued by his grandfather at the same time. Uh, that's probably true right <laughs> so uh, um we, we we don't have a we don't have a lot of time left so i want to first of all i want to just make sure that uh, my brother doesn't have anything else to say or any questions to ask or do you it, the only thing i would add is there's actually a third dick loker drawing what dad didn't even know about dick loker before he introduced me to him was dick loker was an air force test pilot back in the day one of the many books he wrote was a flying book that he sent me an autographed copy of with a picture with a drawing that he did of an f-15 on it and he drew a little arrow supposedly that was me in the cockpit but the book was called flying can be fun not one of his more you know famous books but so that's one of my prized possessions too is dick loker and the reason he sent that to me is because I was an Air Force test pilot at the time. Oh, I was I was not aware of that. Did Dad have anything to do with getting you that too? Well dad introduced me to Dick Loker. Okay. And Dick Loker was a very humble and unassuming man and didn't we didn't know he was a test pilot until then. Well, okay. Well, that's that's I, I and I had not heard that story until just now. So I'm going to put my youngest son Ryan on the spot and see if he has anything he wants to add. Ryan, what do you think? Well, I don't have a question per se, but um one thing I did find very interesting was I've always seen the John F. Kennedy picture on the wall. And I never knew the history behind it. I'm like, oh wow, he has a picture with John F. Kennedy in Chicago and I know he says like it angle the angle got him into the picture, it looks much closer than it actually is, but knowing the historical significance behind it, it makes the it a lot more interesting and that was just one thing I wanted. To add. Well, I can't think of a better way to wrap up the show than to have uh, Ryan close the show for us. Thank you very much, Ryan. Thank you very much out there for listening. And uh, Dad, Dick Tracy, thanks for coming in again. Thanks for having me. And uh, everybody, Bill, thank you too. And everybody have a great day. We'll see you next time.